calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to the serialized audiobook of The Starter, Season 3 of the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. The Starter is also available as an ebook and as an ad free, unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash The Starter. His leg felt better already. No more limping. Fifteen minutes with Doc Bata and the pain was gone. Quentin walked into the human locker room and began his pregame ritual. Barnes, number ten, it read above the locker. The little electronic numbers and letters changed every week, changed for the players visiting Isis Stadium. This week, though, they were his name, his number. He opened the locker, stared at its contents. His Kraken's away jersey waited for him, a black number 10 trimmed with white, set against the team's trademark blazing orange. Quentin reached in and took it out, fingers feeling the rough Kevlar fabric. Human teammates circulated around him. Don Pine, Yitzhak Goldman, John Tweedy, Rick Warburg, Ariok Morningstar, Tom Perlis, Rebecca Montaigne, and more. A part of his brain knew they were there, a small part. Most of his brain, however, focused on his uniform, focused on the ritual, the placing of the pieces, imagining himself in them, on the field, leading the team, proudly carrying the burden of responsibility, accountability. He set his jersey flat on the floor, smoothed out the fabric around the numbers, made sure that the small letters above the numbers, letters that spelled out Krakens, were clean, readable. He imagined himself in that jersey, throwing, running, and yes, even sliding. Quentin stood, careful not to tread on the jersey. He pulled his cool suit from the locker. He stepped into the legs of the rubbery material, pulled it up around his hips, slid his arms through the sleeves, then pressed the self-sealing chest flaps together. The suit fit perfectly, covering every part of his body save for his hands, neck, and head. The microtubule material circulated coolant, helping to regulate his skin temperature throughout the game. Shoulder armor came next. Quentin held the rig in his hands, fingers brushing over the layers of thick, black, curved plates. Padding beneath the plates rested against his cool suit-covered body, while the plates themselves helped protect him against the insane amounts of force generated by key defensive linemen, heavy G defensive ends, blitzing Sklorno safeties, 
and human or quith warrior linebackers. The plates absorb that force, dissipating it instead of transmitting it to the wearer. Some of it, anyway. When the big sentience hit you as hard as they could, it hurt. He slid his arms through the shoulder armor sleeves, the black plates clattering slightly with each movement. The armor was thicker on his right arm and shoulder, thinner on the left shoulder and left arm, his throwing arm. Micro-sensors automatically adjusted the armor's 56 adjustable spacers, giving him a perfect form fit in just seconds. Quentin rotated his arms, mimicked a throwing motion, a handoff, a straight arm. Everything felt right. Everything felt perfect. He pulled the lower torso armor from the locker, wrapped the rig around his lower back, and locked it home at his stomach. Micro-sensors adjusted the fit and linked into the shoulder armor, giving him flexible protection from the top of his pelvis up to his neck. Next came the hip and leg armor. Orange-enameled alloy protected his hips, thighs, knees, and lower legs. Finally came his armored shoes, Nike Allspace Enforcers. He stepped into the shoes, which automatically locked into and bonded with the leg armor. Quentin lifted his orange jersey like a holy relic, staring at it for a long moment. He pulled it on over his armor. He reached into his locker for his helmet. Even more than the jersey, the helmet was iconic of the Krakens, of the team. Ionath helmets were a deep, glossy black with orange face masks. The helmet's front center, above the face mask, showed an orange design trimmed in red piping. Six orange fading to white points stretching up, across, and down the helmet's sides. Many people mistook the six-arm design for flames, like someone would paint on a tricked-out hover car. Actually, it represented the six-tentacled quith sea creature for which the team was named. Quentin pulled the helmet on, knowing he would turn and walk to the meeting room, where he'd see 52 other black helmets. Those helmets had many shapes, from key to heavy G to Sklorno to Quith Warrior, but the black was always the same. The six-armed orange pattern was always the same. The same, because even though they were different species, come kickoff, they were all of the same tribe. They were all Krakens. A rage slowly built inside of him. A coldness, a feeling of pent-up damage to be dealt, an overpowering sense that there were those dumb enough, arrogant enough, to try and take what was his. Season opener. His moment had come. Quentin stood and walked out of the human locker room and into the central communal area. It's time, he said, calm but loud enough to be heard. The various races filtered out of their respective locker rooms. The team gathered around him, five species merging into a single soul-crushing peoples that wore the orange and the black. The players formed a tight circle, leaving him just enough space to turn and take a step, maybe two, before he turned again, looking each teammate in the eye or the eyes. We need to take care of the ball, Quentin said. We need to play smart. Hell yeah, John Tweedy said. Yeah, kill him! Some of the Krakens looked intense and angry or even totally psychopathic like John. Most, however, wore only a thin veneer of confidence. Just a handful of players possessed Tier 1 experience. Quentin didn't have any. He'd played a single season of Tier 2, but that didn't change anything. Football was football. They think we're weak, Quentin said. 
They think you all are a bunch of tier two players. The looks around him grew more intense, angrier. Football is football, Quentin said. They're a little faster than what we faced last year, a little bigger, but we're ready for them. Let's go out there and let them know who we are. Who are we? Crickets! The team shouted as one. Who are we? Crickets! All right, let's go play some football. The tight circle of players parted for him. He walked out of the locker room and into the tunnel leading to the field. His team followed close behind. The soundproofing in the locker room must have been top grade because as soon as they stepped into the tunnels, he heard the crowd's low, rumbling roar. John Tweedy, the defensive captain, walked on his right. Kilo Yoit, his huge key left tackle, scuttled along on his left. They stopped at the mouth of the tunnel, staring out at a capacity crowd of 150,000 blue and white clad sentients. Quentin looked around the strange stadium that the locals called the fish tank. When he'd seen the field hours ago, during a short walkthrough practice, the place had been almost empty. The stadium's clear dome showed a seemingly endless ocean, lights from surrounding buildings playing off of floating particulate and plankton to create a slightly glowing, translucent cloud. Now, just minutes before kickoff, he couldn't see the surrounding buildings anymore. He couldn't see them, because thousands of Lee Keys swarmed across the other side of the dome. 10,000, maybe more, hard to make out at this distance, but even from here, he could see that they all looked like Keltbringer, bright blue bodies with black stripes. The species that had looked a bit misshapen and awkward during media day in the touchback moved with a lightning-fast, fluid grace when in the water. Air-breathing sentience packed the stands, a solid wall of blue and white-garbed ice storm fans. Three decks. Between each deck, a 15-foot-high ring of thick glass. Behind that glass, more liquid, more leaky, their equivalent of VIP seating, probably. Liquid luxury boxes. Only one section in the north corner showed a concentration of orange and black, a combination of local supporters and Kraken superfans who had made the long trip from Inath. All enclosed stadiums were loud, but the fish tank was on a whole different level. He could feel the sound rocketing back and forth, up and down, a kinetic force that would only get worse as the game wore on. Sentience of all races, called the announcer, his voice booming off the roof and echoing throughout the underwater stadium. Please welcome our visiting team, the INF Krakens! Right on cue, Quentin stormed onto the sapphire blue field, his orange and black clad teammates at his back. Most of the 150,000 football fans in attendance screamed for his blood. Quentin reached the visitor's sidelines, and his teammates packed in around him, jumping up and down as one multi-legged creature, pushing and pulling, awash in the pre-game ritual of war chants and adrenaline. He saw John Tweedy screaming things that John Tweedy thought were sentences, but were really just unintelligible syllables of rage. Crazy George Starcher, face painted red this time. Rebecca Montaigne, looking more than a little shell-shocked. Mitchnik and Kamani, just standing there, bobbing their upper bodies in time instead of jumping, knuckles touching the ground each time they dipped. Scarborough, Denver, and the other Sklorner receivers, leaping far too high and squealing with glee. Mumo Kiloe, Kiloyoit, and the other key players, clumped together mostly, eyes hidden by their wraparound helmet visors. 
And then the announcer called out the home team. Residents of ISIS, citizens of the Tower Republic, members of the Tri-Alliance, and visitors from across the reaches of known space, you are all now part of the Fish Tank. Please welcome the defenders of the Republic's honor, your ISIS Storm! They raced out of the tunnel, a sentient tornado of blue and white. Snow-white helmets decorated only on the left side with the Ice Storm logo. Six metal blue swords in a snowflake formation, gleaming with chrome highlights that matched chrome face masks. Their jerseys were white on top, fading to a light blue in the middle that blended into the leg armor. Light blue at the waist, blending to navy blue at the shins and shoes, ending with shoes of blue so dark they looked damn near black. Chrome numbers with dark blue trim decorated shoulder pads, chest, and back. Even their belts and shoe clips were chrome. Aside from the uniforms, which Quentin thought were just about as cool as cool could get, what he noticed was the size of the players. The Krakens had big players, but the Ice Storm squad just seemed a little bit larger across the board. In particular, Quentin had trouble looking away from number 76. Number 76. Ryan Nosek, all-pro defensive end, heavy G, and big as a tank. The sack leader of Tier 1. A quarterback killer. In Nosek's six-year career with the Ice Storm, he had four confirmed kills. One score no receiver, a human tight end, and two quarterbacks. He'd also ended the careers of two additional quarterbacks. One, a backup for the Sala Intrigue, now had a successful betting company. You could see his commercials in just about every GFL broadcast. The other, a former starter for the Shora Warlords, hadn't made one coherent sentence in the three years since Nosek blindsided him. Nosek was a killer, true, but all the hits had been clean. He was widely respected in both the media and among GFL players. None of that mattered now. Nosek was the enemy, and Quentin was going to put him down. Nosek stopped walking and looked across the empty playing field. He seemed to be searching for something, seemed to find it, when he locked eyes with Quentin. The gigantic heavy G slowly raised one massive hand and pointed at Quentin. Mind games? This joker wanted to play mind games? Quentin extended both hands at shoulder height, palm up, then flipped his fingers repeatedly, making them touch the heels of his hands. The gesture said, Come get some. Nosek smiled and nodded. The crowd roared so loudly neither team could hear the whistles of the flying hurrah refs waiting at the center of the field. Quentin saw the refs beckoning captains from both teams to come out for the coin toss. He felt a rush in his chest as he jogged out, John Tweedy on his left, Haywick on his right. Quentin was the offensive captain, John was the defensive captain. Haywick was this week's honorary captain, a reward for her fantastic Tier 2 season. Such prestige made her shake uncontrollably, of course, but she'd earned the right. The three Krakens reached the 50-yard line and stood at the edge of an Ice Storm logo painted onto the field. A hurrah ref floated seven feet above that logo. The ref, or the Z, as Don Pine called them, wore a black and white striped jersey with a matching black and white striped speaker backpack. Two yellow penalty flags dangled, just waiting to be tossed. A few feet on the other side of the ref, 
the Ice Storm captains. Nosek, linebacker Chaka the Brutal, and quarterback Paul Infante. The players nodded at each other. Quentin waited for one of the Ice Storm captains to say something, to talk trash, but they did not. Players, the Zeeb said, his mechanized voice echoing across the Pack Stadium sound system, fighting for dominance over the still-shouting crowd. Because this game is played in Kretorakian-controlled space, we will use a Kretorakian coin for the toss. The hurrah held out a tentacle, which was thick and flat like a squash snake. The tip of the tentacle showed a round coin with the image of a planet, Kretorak. This is Tails, it said, then flipped the coin once. The other side showed the six-size head of a bat. This is Heads. Krakens, you are the visiting team. Who will call the talks? I will, Quentin said. He'd share the wealth later in the season, use the coin toss as a bonus, a reward for people playing particularly well. For this game, however, his first game in Tier 1, the honor was all his. Call it in the air, the Zeeb said, then tossed the coin high in a rapidly spinning arc. Heads, Quentin said. The coin spun as it fell, hitting the white and chrome Ice Storm logo, bouncing once, then falling flat. Seven sets of eyes leaned in to see. It's heads, the Zeeb said. Crackers, do you wish to kick off, receive, or defer? We want the ball, Quentin said. You sure? Nosek said. The big heavy G smiled, his demon-deep voice dripping with amusement. Seven foot three, easily 500 pounds, long arms leading to massive fists that hung just an inch from the ground. You sure you want that ball, youngin'? You might want to enjoy the day a little first. Tweety took a step forward. You want some? The bigger they are, the more I get to eat, flashed across his face. Nosek sneered. Quentin realized that Nosek was just trying to affect someone's game by getting into their head. Apparently, that worked on the high-strung John Tweedy, who started to take another step forward, but stopped when Quentin's hand snapped up, palm on John's chest. Easy, Quentin said. Let's play smart. Nosek smiled and nodded at Quentin. The giant seemed as polite and professional as could be. He was going to try and kill you, but if he didn't kill you, he'd happily help you up and pat you on the back. I storm, the hurrah referee said. Which end zone do you wish to defend? Paul Infante, the quarterback, answered. That one, he said, pointing to a south end zone painted in blazing white with metallic letters that spelled out Ice Storm. Past the end zone, a waving sea of blue, white, and chrome-clad Isis fans ready to blast Quentin and his teammates with deafening noise. The hurrah ref spun in the air, Long tail pointing toward that end zone. The ice storm will defend the south end zone. Sentience, prepare to play ball. The crowd's roar hammered at Quentin. He turned and ran off the field, Tweedy and Haywick only a step behind him. His orange-clad teammates waited for him on the sidelines. Kraken's players packed in around him. So much mass, so much strength, so much energy and anger, pressing in on him from all sides. When Quentin spoke... His words came out as a scream, guttural, short, and clipped, his head bouncing forward with each syllable. Let's set this season off right! We get the ball, we show them the Krakens are for real! Destroy on three! One, two, three! Destroy, destroy, destroy! <laughs> the kickoff return team ran onto the field, just as the Ice Storm's kickoff unit did the same. Richfield waited to receive the ball. The kickoff and kickoff return teams 
were mostly comprised of backup players, second stringers, who contributed by playing on various special teams. Second stringers were a bit more expendable. Because both teams accelerated to reach top speed before smashing into each other, more players died on kickoffs than on any other play. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Suddenly, the arena air filled with spinning images of ice storm sword flakes, holographs sparkling in chrome and white and deep blue. The sound system played a roaring wind that screamed in time with the spinning images. Quentin 
had never seen anything like it. This was the first Tier 1 game he'd ever seen in person. It was more than just a game. It was a show, a pageant. Even in his season of Tier 2, he'd seen nothing like this. He could only guess at the expense of such a stadium-wide holographic system. The Ice Storm had been in Tier 1 for 24 seasons, and as a result, apparently had money to burn. The crowd ate up the light show, screaming in time with the ebb and flow of the projected wind. Over 150,000 sentients playing along and enjoying every moment. Maybe the league key watching from up above were screaming as well, or making whatever noise aquatic creatures made. The sound and swirling sword storm vanished, allowing full vision of the white-lined, sapphire-blue field and the two teams preparing for action. Quentin focused on the ball sitting on a tee at the 35-yard line. That same ball would be in his hands in only minutes. The ice storm kicker raised his hand. The Zeeb blew the whistle, signifying the game was officially underway. The human kicker ducked his head for a moment, then ran at the ball. His teammates ran with him, a wall of white and chrome and blue. The kicker nailed the ball, which sailed deep into air thick with the screams of Ice Storm fans. Richfield waited as the ball descended. Perth, Kobayasho, Kopor the Climber, and Rebecca Montaigne formed up in front of her. When the ball landed in Richfield's tentacles, her four blockers were already going full speed forward trying to punch a seam through the onrushing tide of blue and white. The ice storm's wall breakers shot in, a pair of Sklorno speedsters that crashed into the wave of orange and black. Quentin caught a brief image of Rebecca launching herself, smashing into one of the white and blue clad wall breakers, a combined impact that had to be around 40 miles an hour. Both players dropped to the ground, the irresistible force hitting the irresistible force. Richfield shot into the coalescing pile of bodies. Quentin hoped to see her pop out the other side and wrote to a long return, but the pile collapsed and the Zebes blew their whistles. Quentin felt the butterflies roiling in his chest and stomach. The kick return team ran off as the offense ran on. Rebecca was slow to get up. The Scalorno she'd hit didn't move at all. Whistles kept blowing long after the play was dead. White backpacked ice storm docks flew from the ice's sidelines, rushing to the fallen player. Quentin heard the hum of a med sled flying onto the field, then the echoing voice of the field announcer. Player down on the field, number 23, North Branch. Starting off a game with an injury was bad luck. Quentin didn't want his team to dwell on it, so he gathered his huddle. All right, all right, he said. Focus on me, on me. Here we go, Krakens. First and ten. Richfield got us to the 33, so we have good field position. He knew what was happening somewhere behind him. The med sled was hovering over the fallen player, lowering thousands of nanofiber wires that would engulf her, allow her to be lifted without changing her position or moving her in a way that could further aggravate her injuries. Quentin saw some of his teammates' eyes straying over his shoulder. Hey, focus on me, got it? The eyes snapped back to him. This is a simple game. We run the ball, we catch the ball, I throw the ball. We block, we execute, just like in practice. The med sled hummed again. Quentin didn't turn to look. The Sklorno player was being taken to the tunnel, to the stadium's emergency hospital somewhere underneath the stands. All stadiums had hospitals. 
Rarely did a game go by where at least one player didn't need immediate, life-saving surgery. Surgery that didn't always work. But such was the GFL, the life-and-death game that he and the rest of these sentients had chosen. Death was always just one snap away. If you thought about that too much, you would play with hesitation and be ineffective. To succeed in the game of football, one needed to play with reckless abandon. Here we go, Quentin said. Just like we practiced, three plays in a row, no huddle. I set dive left, then I set counter left, followed by quarterback boot right. That's two runs right behind Kilo Yoet, then a boot where Shunan Wan and I make Nosek look silly. Ain't that right, Shunan? The rookie key lineman barked out a string of unintelligible vowels. Quentin didn't have to understand the words to feel the hate they contained. Shunan Wan couldn't wait to take on the Ice Storm's all-pro defensive end. This was the rookie's chance to prove himself as a player, as a warrior. First play on three, Quentin said. Second two plays, we go on first sound. Ready? Break! Yes! The Kraken sprinted to the line. Quentin walked up slowly, taking it all in. The Ice Storm ran a 4-3 defense. Four defensive linemen up front, three linebackers playing three or four yards behind them. That left four defensive backs. Two cornerbacks near the sidelines. Safety and strong safety four or five yards behind the linebackers. Heavy G defensive ends, key defensive tackles. The Ice Storm linebackers were all Quith Warriors, and they were all excellent. The Storm's only weak spot? The cornerbacks. If Quentin could stay in the pocket long enough to let Haywick, Scarborough, and Denver get deep, he knew he could knot some big plays. The key word being, if. So much now depended on Shunan Wan's ability. Could the rookie handle the pressure? Quentin took his spot behind Budoshwek, the center. He knelt and slipped his hands under the key's posterior. Budo's pebbly skin felt cold and hard, a familiar, welcome feeling that foreshadowed the snap. Blue 47! Quentin shouted. Blue 47! The defense shifted, flexed. Hands and tentacles clutched at nothing. Mouths twitched, eyes widened. This was it. Game time. Hut, hut! Quentin screamed, pausing only a second to see if his hard count drew the defense offsides. It did not. Hut! The roar of the crowd was nothing compared to the clash of bodies at the line of scrimmage. The Kraken's offensive line shot forward, met instantly and forcefully by the Ice Storm defenders. Quentin turned to his left, pushing away from the line. Tom Perilous, the fullback, ran by, driving toward the line. Once he passed, Quentin extended the ball. Yasud lifted his right elbow high, right hand against his chest, left hand palm up, left pinky against his belly. Quentin placed the ball on Yasud's stomach. Yasud's arms clamped down both hands wrapping over the football's pointy ends. The hole seemed to open as Kilo Yoet's huge bulk drove forward, pushing back the opposing defensive tackle. Then Perilous slammed into the tiny hole, blocking the Quith Warrior linebacker who tried to fill the gap. Yasud ran in, helmet and shoulder pads leaning far forward. The hole was there, then gone. A multi-jointed key arm reached out and hooked around Yasud's waist slowing him just enough for the middle linebacker to close and land a solid hit. Armor clacked and rattled. Yasud hit the ground after a three-yard gain. Whistles blew. Quentin stepped forward. The Krakens jumped up, 
rushing back to the line as the Z placed the ball. No huddle, several defensive players called out. No huddle! Going without a huddle kept the defenders from swapping out players in hopes of catching them in a formation that didn't properly match up with the offensive set. Quentin waited only long enough for his line to settle into their stances. Hut! Budo Schweck snapped on first sound, slapping the ball hard into Quentin's hands. Quentin turned to the right this time, seemingly showing a mirror image of the last play. This play, however, was a counter. Start out right to hopefully draw the defense in that direction, then after the handoff, the running back cut left. Tom Perilous again ran past, again Quentin reached out with the ball, and again Yasud took it. The second-year runner immediately cut to the left, following Perilous through the hole to the left of the center. The Ice Storm linebackers weren't fooled by the misdirection. They came up and filled the gap almost instantly, stopping Yasud for just a two-yard gain. Armor cracked, players grunted, and bodies crashed to the ground. Third down and five. The Krakens hopped up, again scrambling back to the line of scrimmage, all except for Yasud, who got up slowly. Come on, Murphy! Quentin shouted. Move, move! Yasud stood and jogged to his tailback position. His slow pace gave the ice storm time to swap out players. A defensive lineman ran off, and a defensive back ran on, giving Ice's five defensive backs for a third down passing situation. Quentin bent behind Budoschweck, surveying the defense. The defenders weren't set. Maybe he could still catch them on their heels. Hut! The ball smacked into his hands on first sound, and the line erupted. Quentin pushed back to his left, watching Perilous rush by, then extended the ball with his right hand, offering it to the oncoming Yasud for what looked like the third running play in a row. At the last second, Quentin pulled the ball back, planted his right foot, and pushed off turning his body all the way around until he was running right, parallel to the line of scrimmage. In front of him, the entire offensive line had driven to the left upon the snap of the ball, taking the defense with them either by force or because the defenders wanted to follow the play. Quentin sprinted to his right when most of the defenders were still moving in the other direction, now fighting not only blockers, but their own momentum to chase after the quarterback. Shunan Wan had pushed to the left like his linemates, After a one-second delay, however, he had planted his six feet and stopped, suddenly driving to his right. Shunan scuttled parallel to the line of scrimmage as a lead blocker for Quentin. A boot play like this could catch undisciplined defenses sleeping, let an athletic quarterback roll out toward the sidelines, give him time to throw or room to run. Ryan Nosek was not undisciplined. The heavy G defensive end had stayed home, meaning he hadn't over-pursued down the line. His job was to make sure plays didn't go outside of him, where running backs and quarterbacks could turn up the sidelines and rack up big gains. When Nosek saw the boot play, he came in on all fours. He ran upfield, but also to his left, staying outside of Quentin. This angle would stop Quentin from getting to the right sideline, force him to either stand and throw or tuck the ball and run back inside, where Nosek's pursuing teammates could help. Quentin should have done just that, cut back inside, but he kept running to the sidelines, trying to look downfield and see if Starcher was open. Shunan Wan scuttled toward the oncoming Nosek, then gathered his tubular body, compressing it like an accordion. Shunan expanded, blasting forward like a long-tailed orange-and-black comet. 
Ryan Nosek bent, then ripped his thick right forearm up just as Shunan reached him. The forearm hit just under Shunan's chest, lifting the key lineman enough so that he sailed over Nosek's ducked head. Quentin had only a split second to think, wow, that was really shucking amazing. And then Nosek stepped forward and reached. Quentin tried to plant and turn away, but the defensive end had speed that belied his 550 pounds. Arms as big as Quentin's waist reached out, hands the size of autocannon rounds grabbed, lifted, and slammed the quarterback into the sapphire blue turf. Quentin blanked out, but only for a fraction of a second. The crowd's concussive roar brought him out of it. He opened his eyes to see a smiling Ryan Nosek staring down at him. Come on now, youngin. It doesn't hurt that bad. First one's just a love tap. Here on out, I'm bringing everything I got. You should think about heading to the sidelines so I can say hello to my old friend Don Pine. The giant stood and reached down, grabbing Quentin's hand and pulling him to his feet. Quentin slapped the bigger man on the side of his helmet, a friendly yet patronizing gesture that said, Hey, nice hit. Next time... Big man, there won't be a next time. Nosek smiled, turned, and ran to his sideline, leaving Quentin to do the same. Quentin jogged to the bench. His first drive in Tier 1, three and out, a sack, a ringing in his head, and possibly the lamest comeback of all time. Not a strong start. The ice storm returned Ariok Morningstar's punt to their 42-yard line, giving them prime field position. They took only four plays to advance 40 yards before Paul Infante hit wide receiver Angoon in the end zone on a high cross. Quentin had to admire Infante's accuracy, nailing Angoon at the apex of a 20-foot leap, slicing the ball between Perth and Berea, the Kraken's free safety and cornerback, respectively. Extra point good, Ice Storm 7, Krakens 0. Barnes, get over here! Hokor's voice coming from the speakers in Quentin's helmet. Quentin ran down the sidelines to the 50-yard line, where Hokor awaited. The fuzzy yellow and black quith leader wore a little orange Krakens jacket and a VR headset on top of his tiny ball cap. Quentin knelt. Hokor put a pedipalp on Quentin's shoulder pad. Barnes, don't let that last drive worry you. Do I look worried? No. Keep running the ball and see what you suits got. This season is a marathon, not a sprint, and I need to know what my running back is capable of long-term. I also need to make sure Nosek doesn't kill my starting quarterback, so we're going conservative. Quentin wanted to say, screw that, let's throw that sucker. But he kept quiet. The kickoff went out of the end zone, giving the Krakens the ball in the 20-yard line. Quentin ran onto the field, as a little holographic Hokor face popped up in his helmet visor. Exit off tackle right, Hokor said. And Barnes, do not audible. Just run the plays that I call. Don't I always, coach? Hokor said something that might have been a quith language curse, and then the holo blinked out. Quentin called the play. Yasud ran the ball, and the offense went nowhere. Aside from one run that gave Yasud a 15-yard gain, 
He couldn't hit the holes cleanly, couldn't break tackles, and couldn't get more than two or three yards of play. Quentin threw only seven times, completing three, getting hit twice, and finding out that when he told Nosek there wouldn't be a next time, yeah, he'd been wrong about that. When the Krakens ran into the tunnel at the half, the ice storm was up 24-0. Quentin's head hurt almost too bad to tell Masal that he needed another helmet to replace the first one, which had been cracked in two. The Krakens gathered in the communal locker room, already looking beaten and bedraggled. Blood dripped. The sound of armor welders, an unrolling tape, provided an audio backdrop as Hokor walked up to the holo board. We have to make adjustments, Hokor said. We're not giving Yasud enough of a hole, so we will adjust to the Storm's defensive scheme. We gave up 24 points, but I'm not that worried about the defense. If we can run the damn ball and pick up some first downs, well, then the defense won't be out there every damn minute. But first, we did get some bad news. North Branch, the wall breaker who went down on the opening kickoff, she's dead. When you shake appendages after the game, make sure you give your condolences. Dead? A female voice. Rebecca Montaigne. But how? John Tweedy stood up and pumped his fist. Because you blasted her, man! How about that, Krakens? First play of the first game, and Becca the Recca gets a kill! There were murmurs of approval from the humans, deep grunts and clacking of chest armor from the key linemen. The Sklorno squealed and jumped up and down, their armored eye stalks coming only inches from the 15-foot ceiling. The Krakens players weren't celebrating the death of another player, necessarily, but their job was to hit as hard as they could. If another player died from one of your hits, you deserved respect. Quentin said nothing. It was sad that North Branch had died, but it was a violent game, and bad things happened to good players. Rebecca shook her head. But I didn't mean to. I just hit her. I'm supposed to hit her. Montaigne! Hokor said. Sit down. We have halftime adjustments to make. But, Coach, I didn't mean to kill anyone. I... Montaigne! Sit down and shut up! She looked stunned, as if it was news to her that the galaxy's most violent team sport might result in death. Quentin quietly walked over to her as Hokor outlined blocking schemes for the second half. Becca, Quentin said in a whisper, you okay? She looked at him with haunted eyes. Clearly, she was not okay. Relax, Quentin said. It's okay. This is upper-tier football. These things just happen. Just happen? That sentient is dead, Quentin. Yeah, and she won't be the last one this season. Not by a long shot. You need to focus on halftime adjustments. We can talk about it after the game. Right now, you put it out of your mind. Understand? She looked away, the expression on her face showing she thought Quentin was either a simpleton or a heartless ghoul. Well, he was neither. He was the quarterback, and his team was getting whipped. Quentin walked away from her and focused on the holo board. A 24-point deficit was damn near impossible to overcome unless they could get some offense together. They had to make adjustments, then go out and kick some ass.
You have been listening to The Starter, Season 3 of the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. Produced by Ariok Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. For more information on Scott and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon. Superweaponband.com. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.